Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Shall we begin? Hi, this is Muffet McGraw, head coach at the University of Notre Dame, and you're listening to Dishin' and Swishin'. Hi, everybody. This is David Siegel, your host, and it is time to welcome you to probably the most listened-to podcast that we have every year, and that is the roundtable prior to the start of the NCAA tournament. And as per usual, we have a great group of people for you. And we have the law firm of Vopel, Feinberg, and Levine covering here today. So uh, it's a pleasure first to welcome back ESPNW writer Michelle Vopel. How are you, Michelle? Uh, doing well. Thank you. And Doug Feinberg from the AP is with us once again. Hi, Doug. Hey, Dave. How are you? I'm good. And it's a pleasure to welcome for the first time on Dishing and Switching, and obviously then the first time in the Roundtable debut, and that is Gabriella Levine, a freelance writer who you've seen in various publications and all over the Internet and all over Twitter. Gabby, welcome to our podcast. Thanks, David. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So now, first thing let's talk about it, we might as well get started right away. Michelle, you, you brought it up very well on tournament night, and a lot of people have been talking about South Carolina getting the shaft and being sent out to Stockton. You know, the the argument of so they have to get on a plane anyway just doesn't really seem to be fair to these student-athletes. And then to come out with the statement about how the experience is better for the student-athletes, as the head of the committee said, you know, Michelle, Dawn Staley was very nice and polite in saying, what do they got to do? But really, what do they have to do? It just doesn't seem to sit well with everybody that South Carolina got shifted out to to the West Coast again. Yeah, I think one of the things that is that was sort of alarming about um, the comments yesterday from the selection chair and some of the things that the committee did was they had different answers to the same question, and that's that's something we've all seen uh, used to be a problem a lot, and they'd kind of gotten away from it, and that was, I think, kind of disappointing that they did it again because if you're going to say – Hey, South Carolina, you're going to fly anyway. Well, you could you could apply that to, you know, for instance, why wasn't Stanford, you know, kept in Stockton then? And you know, Oregon State's going to have to fly to Stockton. Why not just send them to Lexington and keep Stanford? Stanford's much closer to Stockton than Baylor is to Oklahoma City. So it's when you when you see situations like that where they came up with a different answer to basically the same thing, that's what makes you wonder exactly what went into um, into their decision. And what's tough for South Carolina is that now this is uh, in the last six years, so going back to 2012, which is right when they were really becoming relevant. They've gone to – they've been in a regional in California three of those six years, and everybody knows the geography. That's a long way, you know, to have to go for them. That's crossing three time zones in six years. It seemed like this was a year when maybe – uh, they shouldn't have made them do that. 
Yeah, I mean, last week when I had Charlie uh, Charlie Cream on the podcast, even he said that the, the, the committee wouldn't have the nerve to send them out there again. And uh, they, they sure proved everybody wrong about that and sending them out there. Uh, you, know, it, you know, and then the other thing, Doug, on the same note, here South Carolina won their conference tournament. Baylor loses. Baylor gets awarded with a local spot. I mean, clearly South Carolina was not the number four of the number ones. They've said so. I mean, so it just further adds on to the exasperation that people have when the committee makes a decision like that. It definitely does. It makes you scratch your head, and I don't really know the answer for it. I mean, as Michelle said, they really didn't have a great answer for why they did what they did. Because, um, right, getting on a plane, yeah, anyone can get on a plane and go somewhere. And I don't know why they made South Carolina do it again. I mean, we'll see what happens down the road if they can survive out there in advance. I mean, it would be unfortunate if that's why South Carolina can't get to the Final Four, so you have to go across three time zones to get a chance to play. Conference muted. So it, it was one of those things. I'm not sure where the committee was coming into their thoughts of having South Carolina go out west again. I'm just going to wait a second because I hit a button that you, I'm sure you heard the city conference muted, so I'm going to edit, I'll edit that out. So you want me to say answer again? No, no, no. You're, it was fine. But I just want to make sure I leave a space so that I can see where it is on the, uh, when I look at the waves on the editing software. <clears throat> okay. Okay. So then on a similar note, uh, you know, maybe the situation that is somewhat different, but on the same keel as to where people were were sent. You know, Gabby, I want to talk to you for a second about, you know, Michelle mis- mentioned that Stanford, you know, gets sent out to Kansas, and, you know, Oregon State gets to stay, go to Stockton in a similar situation. But then you look at some of these other people and some of the other locations. You know, Washington was a number three seed, and they get sent all the way out to the Oklahoma City area. I mean, and then Maryland gets sent back up to Connecticut. Part of one of the things that is interesting is it seems like there's the possibility of a lot of uh, rematches, you know, both this year and from prior tournaments. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I would also agree with what Michelle was pointing to. You know, when I look at the situation and the answers that were provided by the committee to some of the questions that we all have, for me, when you start subjectively choosing to value some factors for some teams and not for others and choosing seeding and where to send teams, it's harder overall to credit certain determinations that are made. One of those determinations for me was the committee's choice to rely so heavily on the strength of schedule argument in designating Maryland as a three seed. I know that a lot of people have expressed disagreement with that. I am one of those people. I'm not so sure if they should have been a three seed. I would have like to maybe see them as a higher two seed. And if they were designated as a higher two seed, then at least according to the way that the S-curve is supposed to work, they probably wouldn't have been placed in the Bridgeport Regional in the first place. That's a great point. And let's talk. Let's go there for a second where you were talking about the strength of schedule. You know, one of the conferences that clearly was not looked highly upon was the Big Ten. And we know that the Big Ten – you know, had some real problems with their strength of schedule and their RPI, especially some of the bottom teams. But you look and you see Ohio State as a five, Maryland as a three. You know, it just seemed that the Big Ten didn't get any, didn't get very much respect 
And, you know, I'm always a believer in the eye test as well. And, you know, Gabby, you've mentioned, as you were mentioning, you know, Maryland is a team that, you know, it should be a legit Final Four contender. And to get sent to have to play possibly UConn for a second time in the season just doesn't seem right. Yeah, and, you know, overall I think there are 16 criteria in which the committee can rely on. One of those is competitive and losses. Of all teams, for me, in my opinion, I think Maryland has been the most competitive team to go up against UConn. I do understand the argument with the strength of schedule. You know, they had the loss to UConn, to Ohio State. They beat Louisville. They beat Arizona State. And I think that's the extent of their relevant non-conference play that's worth mentioning. But, again, going back to this notion of the way that the S-curve is supposed to really work, which is to create, I guess, a balance in each of the regions, I don't think that there's a real fair balance in the Bridgeport Regional at this point when we have Maryland at the three seed. You know, Michelle, let's talk about Bridgeport for a second. And, you know, I always get around being in Connecticut about how Bridgeport is a nice place to visit, but you wouldn't want to be there. Uh, And UCLA gets to come back here possibly a second time. And, uh, you know, it, it just seems that, there are those matchups, like we said, that it seems that every year they picked a team. It was Kentucky for a couple of years. It was Texas for a couple of years. Now it's Maryland and UCLA that seem to always get put against some, they seem to group those years against UConn. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, um, just real quickly, you talk about then, you know, some of the, um, matchups we've seen before, you know, with, we see that in Lexington with the potential of, you know, Notre Dame and Stanford. That's another, you know, potential down the road possibility of you know were they thinking that it's hard to tell because when talking to you know the committee chair yesterday and then hearing how it was almost like they picked a la carte reasons out of out of their criteria and they applied some with for some teams and others for other teams so it was really kind of difficult to tell exactly what they were going for but when I look at Bridgeport one of the things I think of with Syracuse to me is is really, really underseated. I mean, I, I I don't understand how, for instance, and, and, you know, Charlie Cream pointed this out yesterday, and I'm sure almost everybody looked at the bracket and thought this, how's Miami a four and Syracuse is an eight? Um, you know, their their regular season results, I realize Miami, you know, made, made a nice run in the ACC tournament, but to have that kind of disparity and then essentially – you know, stick a team that last year made it all the way to a national championship game in what's realistically almost an unwinnable uh, game if they, if they you know make it through the through the first round. Um, that's a that's kind of a, a lousy place to to put Syracuse, frankly. And you know what Charlie wrote in his piece, you're exactly right. You know, just you got to remember that it's not a four versus an eight; it's a four. You know, one of one of four and eight mm-hmm. with all the other fours in the front of it. So there's like a gap between of thirteen or fourteen spaces easily between those teams, and they're clearly Syracuse and Miami are not that far apart. Uh, you know, Doug, looking over at Bridgeport, you know, it, the other thing that's interesting to me there is you look at West Virginia, and here you get a situation with West Virginia. They make this great run, win the Big Twelve tournament. You know, people are talking them a bit, maybe hosting as a seven. Instead, they get boosted up to a six. They have to go on the road to College Park, and they get Maryland in the set, in the uh, in the next round, followed by uh, you know 
probably if they were to somehow get through, you know, possibly Duke and UConn. I mean, you know, they didn't do Mike Carey any favors for winning the Big 12. Yeah, you know, you might want to start calling the Bootsport region the grumpy region because it seems every coach is something to complain about with their seed, with the exception of probably UConn and Duke. Because it just seems everyone's underseeded for where they should be in a lot of people's minds. I mean, West Virginia had an unbelievable run. They beat the three of the two and the one in the Big 12, if I remember correctly. I mean, that, that's unheard of in that conference. And yet, here they are as a sixth seed, as you said, and that just doesn't seem right. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the right answer is. I mean, we were talking before about Maryland. Let's say you flopped Maryland and Duke. So Maryland's the, the last number two seed. They sort of be in the same spot in the sense they'd still be in Bridgeport and potentially they'd have to play Duke in the, in the uh, regional semis. I don't know what the right answer is. I mean, West Virginia had a really nice run, but they had some, some blips early in their season. So what, what's the right thing to do for all these teams? I mean, Syracuse was, was definitely better than an eight seed, but where are you going to put them if they're not where they are now? I think for any point. team especially, nobody really wants to end up in Bridgeport with the potential to go up against Connecticut. I mean, we saw Texas was a team that consistently had to had UConn in its path. So essentially, even, you know, like Doug is saying, there's really no answer for it, but at least we do know that similarly situated teams in the past have similarly had these types of complaints. One of the things true, except- about the – the two and the three, though, is we all a lot of times just a normal bracket. The, the two and three don't make that much. It doesn't make that much difference in your pass because you're going to play. If you both advance, you're going to play each other in the Sweet 16. What's interesting, going back to Maryland and, and maybe why they're particularly grumpy, is looking at what their potential, you know, second round game is. They're going to face another. If West Virginia wins, they're facing another team that won the conference championship, the conference tournament championship, versus you know, Duke with Oregon and Temple. So I would say Maryland, by having a three, maybe their their ultimate path ends up being harder than a two. And I I think I test-wise and everything, I think most of us would, would say Maryland is probably deserved a higher seed than Duke. Excellent point. I agree completely on that. So to wrap up Bridgeport for the first couple weeks, for the first weekend, uh, Gabby, who who – do you see that we should be keeping our eyes on? Is there any upsets that you could see there? Are there anybody that really interests you that you would encourage our listeners to, to look for in, in that first two rounds in, Bridge, in uh, the Bridgeport Regional? Yeah, i got to give love to my home team, which is UAlbany. And that might seem like an unlikely team to keep your eye on. They're coming in at the 16th seed against UConn of all teams. Um, if you haven't seen it on Twitter, there's a great video of their reaction to when they found out that they were going up against UConn. It was pretty priceless. But UAlbany is actually the only team on an active six-year streak of getting an automatic berth by winning their conference tournament. And I think that there's an argument that they've become one of the most consistent mid-major teams out there. And they kind of have a, an interesting parallel to UConn, which is that both UConn and UAlbany kind of went into this season not really expecting much, not really expecting that they'd be able to bounce back in the way that they had. UConn, of course, of course we know who they lost in the big three. UAlbany lost their head coach and Coach Abe. And they lost a really, really terrific player in Sharisha Richards. But 
they did bounce back. They wound up winning their conference tournament again, and here they are going up against UConn. But I think that that's a team. I hope that the hype surrounding UConn doesn't necessarily swallow the story that UAlbany has because it is a good story. Michelle, who would you look for in the in Bridgeport Regional? I think maybe that potential, if it happens, and I don't want to shortchange te- shortchange Temple at all because they're the higher seed. But the the or a possible Oregon Duke second round match, or even a possible um, Temple Duke second round match, uh, could be could be really interesting. Um, Duke's obviously bounced back really well from last year. But um, it, it could be it could be interesting to see you know some of the matchups um, if both with Temple versus Duke and with Oregon versus Duke. And again, I don't want to shortchange Hampton. Uh, Hampton, I don't believe has won an NCAA tournament game, so who knows? Maybe they'll they'll shock us against Duke. Um, but that's one part of the bracket I think is interesting. And then obviously, if we get that. West Virginia Maryland game that has the potential to be a great game with the way, especially with the way that Tynese Martin has played, um, and and as good as I think Maryland is. One of the things there that I like is it'll be nice for some of the East Coast people who don't who uh, literally sleep through the Pac-12 games uh, to see Sabrina Ionescu too. I mean, she is a lot of fun, as is the other freshman, Rupi Hebert, and. Uh, Good to see Kelly Graves back in back in the tournament. One of my favorite people to talk to on the podcast. Doug, I got one for you before I ask who your choice is. What about Penn? I think Penn could take <laughs> out Texas A and M. Well, it's funny you say that. I mean, to answer your first question first, I agree with Michelle. I think Oregon has a chance to make a little run here. I actually just talked to Kelly earlier uh, today, and he was excited. He thinks that the draw could be good for them to potentially get a couple wins in there for teams that may not know them and. Nobody has more wins as a double-digit seed, I think, in the women's bracket uh, than Kelly Graves does. When he was at Gonzaga, he won, I think, six games as an 11 seed or lower, albeit somewhere at home. But he's got a good chance as anybody to pull some upsets there with a really talented young Oregon team. As far as Penn, I mean, I'll pick them as my upset special in this bracket. I'm like, Gabby, I don't have a hometown team here in New York City because St. John's didn't do anything this year. Fordham, Manhattan, Columbia, none of them made the tournament. So, I guess as an Osby guy, I'll have to go with Penn as my uh, my circum team or my uh, whatever you want to call it, my, my team that I can choose uh, as my local favorite. Um, they're they're pretty good. They're experienced. They have a, a good uh, front court, a big front court. They've been in the tournament a few years. They they almost pulled off a couple upsets uh, in there. And I think they have a chance to pull off one against Texas A and M. I mean that twelve five in the men's bracket is always the the, one, the games you look for. Why not on the women's side? I think Penn has the mixture of experience, talent, and really has the desire and plays really good defense that they could give A&M some fits and potentially get out of that first round, and then we'll see what happens after that. Maybe too much to upset UCLA also, but one win for them would be great for that program. Good deal. Uh, let's move over to Lexington. We'll go across the bracket. Uh, and I wanted to go back to something that I was saying earlier, and Michelle, uh, I had mentioned that I thought the, the the Big Ten lack of respect really, I thought, came through with Ohio State. Charlie had predicted that they had managed to uh, host their first round, the first uh, two-round games by uh, the way that other people got knocked off and the way their season went. But not only do they not get to host, they get sent to Lexington where they get to play Kentucky on their home court. Uh I mean, I think that Ohio State really sort of got the short end of the stick uh, in this bracket. 
Yeah, I'd have to agree, especially, um, you know, when you consider they did beat Maryland. They're, they're the only uh, Big Ten team that solved the Maryland puzzle since the Terps moved over to the Big Ten. And, you know, I realized they didn't make the uh, the Big Ten final. And they played a tough non-conference schedule. They, they played a lot of good teams. Uh, but, yeah, they really did uh, not get any uh, get any help from the from the committee. And, you know, and I said earlier, I don't know. It, it's hard to tell exactly what messages the committee's sending because they were sending so many different conflicting messages to teams. But one thing that seemed really clear is the committee um, – you know, did not think much of the Big Ten at all, um, both with Michigan, you know, not making the field and then only one team from the Big Ten being in the top 16. So that's a, you know, that's a potential really, really um, blockbuster, I think, second-round game if you have Ohio State and Kentucky facing off. You know, and the other one of the other things that is interesting about Lexington is this is where we get the first of one of the two teams that a lot of people have jumped on saying, why are these people in here? And, uh, you know, Gabby, let's talk about Auburn for a second and the SEC. You know, it, it was nice that the SEC got all these teams and they had a great year. But, you know, you got to scratch your head a little bit. Again, talking about Michigan, talking about some, you know, even a George Washington, a mid-major that had a good year. Yeah, and then you get Auburn with a below, below 500 conference record, you know, a whole bunch of losses. And, and they not only get in, but they get a fairly decent seed, too. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it goes back to the point that we've been making, which is that arguments haven't really cut both ways for the committee. You know, how have they weighed a conference schedule? Because like you're saying, it doesn't seem like they really place much value in the Big Ten. But we see, like what you just articulated with Auburn, we see that with Cal, they had a similar situation, didn't really have a strong conference record, and yet wound up. Um, with a higher seed overall than the Ducks did. And particularly for me, looking at who Auburn is going up against, I would not want to be playing NC State in the first round. Um, I think that NC State has really proved themselves this year. They've made a name for themselves overall, and that's that's a tough first-round matchup to go up against, too. You know, Doug, when you look at this, look at the Lexington region, you know, Notre Dame is you know, the clear number one here. Would you consider this to be probably the easiest of the four regions? Gosh, that's a that's a tough question. Um, I think it's on paper might be the easiest of the regions, but if I remember correctly, and I was talking to Graham Hayes earlier, earlier didn't Green Bay give Notre Dame a pretty tough matchup at South Bend earlier this year? If I remember correctly, Michelle, maybe you remember that, or Gabby. So it, Notre Dame may have not the toughest two, three, four to match up against, but there's some other teams in there that could give them some trouble. They've hit their stride lately, which is great. I mean, they've come together in the ACC tournament. They ran through it um, pretty easily, and they're playing well. But I got to think playing Green Bay second round, if the if the Phoenix advance, could be a, a tougher than people would expect matchup. And Kentucky on Kentucky's home floor, if that happens, could also be tough. Or Ohio State playing against Kelsey Mitchell. So they may not have the toughest teams to play against, but maybe they might Based on these individuals who are pretty good that could give Notre Dame some issues down the road in the in the Sweet 16 or beyond. Yeah, that was a four think... point game, Doug. That was the that uh, Green Bay that you were mentioning. Sorry to interrupt there, but it was they, Green Bay only lost by four points at Notre Dame earlier in the season. Yeah, actually, that was what I mean. That's a big thing, Michelle. So 
you know, this is definitely a region. Lexington is definitely a region that matchups and individual teams are are very intriguing as much as just looking at the bodies of work of the different teams. You know, you're you're going to be looking at the Manhattan uh, first Manhattan Kansas for the first couple of rounds, and, and that's actually two of the more interesting games that I wanted to ask you about. First, we have the Stanford uh, situation where Stanford gets sent to Kansas instead of being able to play at home because of the lack of court availability and a potential matchup by Kansas State's court. But Kansas State has to beat Drake. And Drake, really, I think, uh, it's always tough for the mid-majors for them to come up with where they should actually be ranked. You know, but, but them getting a number 10 seed is certainly one of those ones that I kind of scratch my head a little bit, especially when you got the, uh, you know, the, the similar, uh, the same conference and a number 10 also in Oklahoma City. Yeah, that was one of the things that didn't really add up is if you value the Missouri Valley enough to give them two, you know, two bids, which doesn't really happen all that often, then how would they be on the same seed line when Drake beat Northern Iowa three times and then Northern Iowa had another loss in conference? Um, I'm thinking that the committee was watching that Missouri Valley um, championship game. It's one of the last championship games that uh, was going on on Sunday, and it obviously came down to uh, overtime. And Drake got into overtime with a you know the great shot at the buzzer. So maybe they were like, "Oh, these teams are so close, we want to get them in." But Drake still won. You know, won that conference, went undefeated, the first team ever to go through the valley undefeated. So it's weird that they both ended up on the same seed line. I'm not sure this is a terrible um, draw, though, for Drake, because at least this is, you know, Manhattan is about four and a half hours away from Des Moines, so their fans can drive there. They've got um, a, a, several kids on that team um, from Kansas City, including Lizzie Wendell, so that's, you know, two hours away from, from their home. And in in some ways, you know, then they can look at the fact that Northern Iowa, a team that they beat three times, beat Kansas State this year. So there's a lot there that maybe should make Drake feel like, hey, we're playing on Kansas State's home court, but this is a game we feel like we can really be competitive in and, and even potentially win. And then there's Stanford playing in the other part, and the whole situation there is just unfortunate, you know, that the Pac-12 uh, – hosting gymnastics at the same time as this would be. And, you know, you've got to respect the fact that they think so much of uh, the other all of their sports, but it really is a bummer for the team that they had to, to give up the home placement of the number two. Yeah, part of me wonders, like, okay, and, and you know, I just wonder kind of how that happened because it's not like it's a, a mystery when the, the dates are for the women's tournament, and I, I don't know how far back they – awarded the, the the Pac-12 Gymnastics Championship, but it is, you know, kind of a big deal now that Stanford is going to have to go all the way out to Manhattan, Kansas, which is an easy trip for me, not not so easy for, you know, the, the folks in the Bay Area. And then if they advance, then they have to go to Lexington. So, you know, there's a lot of travel there for the team that ended up winning the Pac-12 Tournament Championship. So, okay, so, I, so looking at Lexington now, Gabby, what jumps out at you? Who should we be looking at? You did mention North Carolina State is one team, but they are favored to beat Auburn. Uh, what, what do you think about potential upstarts in the first two games? 
You know, honestly, I, I hear the arguments with, with Stanford. I think it's really unfortunate what's occurred there. And um equally as surprised as Michelle is, I can't really see how that could happen. But I actually have my eye on Stanford more than anyone because, I mean, first of all, I think that there's a really good argument that any team that's coming out of the Pac-12 this season, there are seven of them in this tournament, which is the highest that it's been since 2006. But any team coming out of the Pac-12 is prepared for tournament play, maybe more so than any teams coming out of any other conference out there. I mean, the Pac-12 has the highest conference RPI out of any team. Stanford in particular to me is coming into the tournament hot. They have a lot of momentum behind them, even though geographically they might not be in the ideal locations. I think that the Pac-12 championship win gave them a lot of momentum overall. And what I mentioned earlier, I also have my eye on Texas because for the first time in a while, I think it's a relief to them to see that they're not necessarily in UConn's path. They were stunned by um, West Virginia. They were competitive throughout the season um, in losses to big teams like South Carolina and Stanford. I question their depth a little bit, but I mostly have my eye on Texas and on Stanford and Lexington region. Dougie, what do you think? Well, first, I think Michelle made a really good point about Drake. I mean, they, they actually, I think, were thrilled to be a 10 seed in a sense because they are closer to home in Kansas State. They'll probably get about 2,000 fans to come down to the game, which is huge for them to have probably 2,000, maybe seven or 8,000 Kansas State fans, which I think is a, a good sign of that team developing a fan base and, and them supporting uh, the run they've had this year. So I think that's going to be exciting to watch that, that game down there. And, and obviously, Stanford. I know you just can't flip things, but why wouldn't they have made them the two in the Stockton region and flip them with the Oregon State so that Oregon State is home for the first two rounds and they would have to travel to Lexington? I mean, again, it's simple math, but you wonder if you're really making Stanford travel a lot for a really good team to have to go potentially a couple times on flights. I don't know if they're going back to California if they do advance that far or not, but I think it's, it should be exciting. I mean, we talked about Green Bay. Notre Dame could be, I think, a pretty good game in that second round if uh, they both advance there. And I think that's right. Texas is a team that could be really good. They had a, a, an unreal run this year after they started off the season uh, slumping when they were playing all those really good teams in the first month of the year. I, I think that Texas could be a team to come out of that region as a three seed that would give teams problems and could make it to Final Four for the first time in a while. Michelle, I'm going to ask you about a team, and then you have for your opinion. Uh, I think the Western Kentucky could give Ohio State problems, and another 5-12. I know that that's the men's side, you know, issue, like Doug said earlier, for upsets. But, you know, Ohio State, if they play like they did against Purdue, Western Kentucky could knock them off. Yeah, you you do have to, even though we were talking earlier about Ohio State kind of getting a, a maybe a rough deal seeding, they, they have been a team that's had some, some ups and downs. And, you know, so it, that, that obviously is a... Uh, would, would be a very uh, interesting game if that happened. Then, if, if for instance, you had Western Kentucky against Kentucky um, in a sec- in a second round game. Um, NC State's a team that I think has been interesting because they've they've actually played better against better teams. You know, when they've been tripped up, including like you know against Wake Forest and and North Carolina, it's been more in games that they probably were expecting to win. So. 
Um, you know, NC State Texas could be really interesting if that was a second round game. And and Texas has lost four of their last six. You know, they were really cruising along there and and then you know hit hit a rough stretch, obviously against some really good teams. Um, but you know that could be you know NC State could be a, an upset team to watch. Um, you know, maybe even coming out of Austin. Believe it or not, the team I'm picking, which may be crazy because I'm never right ever about the bracket. <laughs> But maybe this is the year Kentucky does it. You know, they had so many issues in the off season. We wondered if, you know, Matthew Mitchell was even going to keep his job. But they've got those two seniors with Evelyn, you know, Akator and um, um, Michaela Epps. Michaela Epps. But, but it's been a long, it's been a long, uh, long day after the bracket. But having Epps and, and Akator as seniors and being at home, it didn't didn't get them, you know, to a Final Four last year. Maybe it'll happen this year. Very interesting. You know, this, you know, this could be, Lexington could be called the warts and all bracket because every one of these teams that we've talked about, inclusive of Notre Dame, who we really didn't get into, had times during this season where they were beatable. Uh, each of these teams, you know, you mentioned North Carolina State and their struggles against weaker teams and Texas dropping those games towards the end of the season. You know, it's just one of those years that a lot of teams are like that. So. Let's slide down and out to the West Coast into the same side of the bracket and talk about Stockton. And, Gabby, let's ask you right up front. Tell me what Elena Coach missing does to South Carolina. Oh, man. I think that the loss of Elena Coach is a major blow to that team because regardless of whether the South Carolina team walks away with a national championship, I think that their defining feature – and what they're going to be remembered for most, more so than anything is Elena Coates and Asia Wilson and the impact that they had in the paint on the inside. Um, they were a formidable pair to see. And so it's a major blow to them. But I think that we also have to look at what positive could come out of this. Because, yes, 10 times out of 10, you want Elena Coates on the floor. We did see, however, in the SEC championship game that – they were very effective with a four-out system going small with more guards on the floor. And I think the player that we have to pay the most attention to is Kayla Davis. She came up really big against Mississippi State in the SEC Championship. She had a really strong showing right off the bat in the first couple quarters. She finished with 23 points. With Elena Coates gone, what that does is I think it opens up the lane a little bit more for Kayla Davis on the dribble drive, where I actually think she's more effective than on the perimeter. And so if there there is a positive coming out of it, I think that the smaller guard lineup has proven to be effective for South Carolina. But no team wants to go into the tournament having to recreate a new identity, which I think is what South Carolina is essentially going to have to do here. It's also troublesome because they, they don't really have an experience an experienced point guard, and so when you know you have to go into tournament play, crafting a new identity, especially on the offensive side of the floor, you kind of want the ball in the hands of an experienced facilitator, and they don't really have that this season. So that's one thing that concerns me. You know, Doug, one thing that will help South Carolina, I think, is they're going to probably play at a much more up-tempo pace than even normally without coats in there. The bra- their side of the Stockton Regional – fits really well for them to be able to do that. There's not a bunch of plotters or big people that can slow them down. I think that 
they will do well in foot race types of games. Yeah, that's a very good point. I mean, the the teams that they potentially could face are not the plotting type. And, hey, Don Silly just got named the U.S. coach, and they love running up and down the floor. So it's a sort of a preview of what you have to deal with the next four years. They're getting more up-tempo than, than she's been coaching in South Carolina last uh, few years or so. So she'll get used to that style soon enough at the national level. Um, but, yeah, I think I think it's an interesting region for them, but it, it sits well for what they're going to have without coach in the lineup that they should be able to get through it to, the I would think, the regional final without too much trouble playing the system they're going to have to play without coach in the lineup. Michelle, Florida State was one of those teams that I thought that as the season went on, they were going to get stronger and be a real champ, real legit Final Four candidate. I think they still are, but they didn't. things didn't pan out the way that I expected their season to go. They started out strong against Connecticut without uh, Leticia Romero there, and they dropped a couple games towards the end, and they seemed to kind of lose a little bit of the identity themselves. Is Florida State going into the tournament in the right place, right mindset, ready to go for this, or are they a team that could be knocked off early? You know, it may depend on how, you know, the break affects them, because I think it affects teams differently, and and you never know until they get into the tournament. But the fact that there is, you know, for most of the teams to the major conferences, there's two weeks break between the last time they played in their first NCAA tournament game. So for a team like West Virginia that was just, you know, really, really hot, and, and as Doug said, just did something like we've never really seen before in the in the Big 12 tournament, uh, that break might have been bad for them. You know, They might have wanted to play, you know, the next night <laughs> with their NCAA tournament opener. For Florida State, maybe it was a good reset. The weird thing, and maybe this is completely coincidental, was the fact that that February 6th game where Texas went down to Florida State, they played a great game, it went into double overtime, and Texas won. Both of those teams have been on the skids since that game. They've both lost four of six. Neither one of them made their conference tournament championship game. So you wonder if, you know, maybe that it was, like I said, maybe that's coincidental, but it's interesting how both of them kind of struggled after that really, you know, somewhat late in the season non-conference game. And maybe the the two weeks off is going to help. One thing, you know, Gabby mentioned that South Carolina has to deal with is the inexperience in the starting point guard. Florida State has the exact opposite, you know, with all their experience at guard. So if the tournament, you know, as we always talk about how big guard play is, maybe that's something that's really going to help the Seminoles. And maybe this is, you know, like I said, maybe the the, the time off has been a chance for them to get completely healthy if they were feeling a little bit beat up and also kind of reset their minds about what they could do in this tournament. Now, Gabby, one of my favorite players coming out of the Pac-12 is Sidney Weiss. And Oregon State did get the number two in Stockton and got to stay out there and we could debate the Stanford situation and still not understand it. But Oregon State is eventually probably going to end up in a situation where they're going to have to face either Florida State or Missouri. Uh, last year, Oregon State was overlooked by everybody and it ended up taking them to the, taking it all the way through to the nearly winning the tournament. And uh, so is Florida State, despite losing their seniors from last year, are they in a position where they can again go that far? Is this that good a team too? You know, I actually think that Oregon State, when I looked at the Stockton Regional, had the clear – I mean, call me crazy, I thought they had the clearest path 
to the final four of any team, actually. Um, even though, you know, for me, when I look at it, Scott Rose made a great point last night. Oregon State is a team that actually now can say we have the experience, we've been there, and we know that we can get back there. Sydney Wees, like you pointed out, I think that she tends to fly under the radar a little bit, and I'm not too sure why, because a guard at her height with her shooting ability should really, really be valued. I mean, at this point, I'm pretty sure that she set um, the Pac-12 three-point scoring record. And overall, Oregon State, for me, is defensively one of the best in the country, they're really, really great on the board. Scott Rose does not get enough credit for how he's built this team back up after like losing five seniors last season, which was huge. So for me, I actually think that Oregon State is going to go the furthest out of any team, especially when we look at the fact that they have that experience and they did it last year and they've been there before. You know, Doug, as our local East guy, talk to me about Marquette and why Marquette is going to go far in this tournament. <laughs> well, you're assuming I think they're going to go far in this tournament. I mean, they they had a nice run in <laughs> okay, the East tournament. Talk, talk to me about Marquette and tell me why they don't lose to Quinnipiac. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, I I, I think that they they obviously had a, a very nice run in the Big East tournament. They, they won it, albeit they won on their home court, which makes a big difference. They've struggled on the road a bit this year, and to win at home and have your fans there cheering you on makes life a little bit easier. So. For a team, as Gabby was just talking about, Oregon State's been there, done that, has the experience now. Marquette doesn't, which can work both ways. There can be the fear factor, the awe factor of we're playing for an NCAA tournament game now. We're trying to get to the first round, the 16 or the Final Four, whatever it may be. And you can either let that help you or it can become a fear factor. And I, I don't know with them. I think actually they might lose first round to Quinnipiac, who has been there before. They haven't won a game, but at least they've played in the NCAA tournament two of the past three years before now. So I think they have a chance to actually lose that first-round game, again, another 12-5 game to Quinnipiac. And then if they do, Marquette does win that first-round game, they might have to play Miami on their home court, which Miami is a team that plays pretty good defense and has a, a talented backcourt, as we've said, helps win uh, games in the NCAAs. I'd be surprised if Marquette makes it out of the first weekend, to be honest. Well, you know, I'll tell you one team that's going to be happy is happy with their place. To tell me that Florida Gulf Coast isn't going to want to go into Miami and take them out. You know, Coach Smesco's team is, always does a great job and uh, are always a lot of fun to watch. And that should be a that's going to be a really fun game, the Miami Florida Gulf Coast game. Michelle, so who in Stockton should we keep an eye on? Well, um, you know, I think we're all both going to, or all all of us are going to enjoy, you know, that all Florida final right <laughs> you know i mean that when i looked at the bracket that's one of the things i thought i don't think that's going to happen but how funny would it be to have you know florida state and miami you know playing each other in stockton for a final um but what i think is still going to happen and it's very very boring but i i think it's going to be south carolina and oregon state and that's the the matchup where I possibly missing coats that might hurt them the most in that kind of game because of everything we've said about the kind of defense that Oregon State can play. Uh, if Oregon State, you know, makes that the kind of game, for instance, the, the Pac-12 final was, that is the last thing, you know, that uh, that South Carolina South Carolina wants to play. So um, having coats out, I, I do think. 
um, probably tips the scales a little bit toward Oregon State, but I'm still going with South Carolina, you know, pulling this out. Um, Gabby mentioned that it's really hard to have to recreate yourself, and it and it is, but one thing that's a little bit in South Carolina's advantage is Coates has been hurt since February 19th. That's She got hurt at Missouri, didn't make the trip to Texas A&M, and they won that game. And I think they started to establish a little bit different identity even in that game at Texas A&M. She came back for the mm-hmm. uh, senior game at Kentucky, really didn't play at all in the SEC tournament other than getting hurt in the semifinal. So they at least know what they can do without her, and, and it is going to be a lot. Kayla Davis and Alicia Gray, it's time for them to really step forward because they're going to be huge in, you know, South Carolina having a chance maybe to, to get to a Final Four. Gabby, what are your thoughts on Stockton? Anybody that we should be looking for that first weekend in particular? Yeah, I actually, you know, I might disagree with Dougie a little bit. I have my eye on Marquette um, because of the upsets that they were able to pull over DePaul. They beat them three times. They came out, won the Big East Championship. And Marquette actually, in the beginning of the season, took down Oregon State. So they might have enough momentum where they might be going into this, and it might not even occur to them that this is the first time that they've been there in 2011, since 2011. They just might ride the wave that they're on right now. Very interesting. Doug, your thoughts? I, I think, I mean, we hit the nail on the head with Oregon State and the job that Scott's done this year. If there wasn't a guy named Gino Oriema, I'd say that Scott would be the, probably the front runner winning coach of the year nationally just because of what he's done and what he lost. So it's tough to, to top the guys who won 107 straight games and lost the top three picks in the WNBA draft for national coach of the year. But I think Scott's done a phenomenal job rebuilding that team and getting them to a spot where they could get back to the Final Four, which would be something special for them. Um, I don't know. I mean, we talked about a bunch of them. I think Michelle's right. You might see a South Carolina versus Oregon State regional final, which would be, I think, pretty exciting unless it scored in the 40s and it would be a defensive struggle and you know, <laughs> watching paint dry. Um, but I, I think it, it would – I'd like to see Florida State make a run here. I, I really like Romero. I thought she she's had a somewhat disappointing season. I think it would be good to see Florida State with this group they have um, – make a run potentially to the, the, at least the, the regional final, if not beyond. I've actually got Florida State coming out of this region. But uh, at the same time, I always keep thinking back two years ago to a conversation Michelle and I had, and we were talking about just think how good Missouri would be if Nafisa Collier had decided to stay home. And look how good Missouri is now. And now add yeah. Nafisa Collier to that, and then I keep thinking what Missouri would be like. What is that that um – you know, that is one team, you know, obviously I can't deny being my alma mater, it would be really fun to see them make a run. Um, and they do have, you know, they can offensively be just a terrific team. And I think that's why they've had success in the SEC that they've had is because Robin Pinson, you know, went with a system that was different than what a lot of people were doing in the SEC. Uh, Sophie Cunningham can be a ton of fun to watch as a player. And when Missouri gets going from – the three-point range, you know, they, they're very, very good. I, I somehow think of Florida State, you know how the, the thing in golf is, you know, best best players never won a major. In, in some ways, Florida State might be, like, one of the best programs that's never been to a Final Four. You know, you keep thinking one of these years it's going to happen for the Seminoles because they've been good for a long time and kind of knocking on, on the door for a long time and haven't been able to get there. And you would think maybe – 
this year, if they play to their potential, um, especially with the seniors that they have, maybe this is the year for them. All right, Oklahoma City. Everybody has been saying that this is the, maybe the toughest region. It's tough to definitively say any of them are, to be honest with you. But, uh, you know, Baylor gets the number one seed there. You know, they get to stay pretty darn close, especially uh, right in the heart of Big 12 country. And, uh, you know, Michelle, what's it going to take for somebody to knock Baylor off? Especially first couple games, they look like uh, they have a – Pretty decent path, pretty easy path in the first couple rounds until they get to, uh, you know, the Tennessee-Louisville bracket. Well, yeah, I think uh, talk about, you know, flashback. Uh, If that's Louisville, then it is quite literally the same round, the same place, the same two teams um, as that rather infamous or famous, depending on what side of that game you were on, yeah, the Sweet 16 game back in 2013 where Louisville knocked off uh, a Baylor team that was a defending national champion, uh, had Odyssey Sims and Brittany Griner. That was, you know, at Chesapeake Energy Arena. Uh, Oklahoma City hasn't been necessarily, you know, great all the time for Baylor. Obviously, they, they lost that game. They lost um, last week to West Virginia. But Part of it with Baylor is going to be, is Alexis Jones coming back? They played really well without her. She's been out with a bone bruise. But I think the game where they obviously missed her was against West Virginia. They had a really hard time, um, you know, guarding Tynese Martin. They were looking for um, a little bit more offense from the outside. And having Alexis Jones may have made a big difference in that game. We'll wait and see if she's playing. If she is, I think Baylor's really tough I think when when she's out there they've got a lot of depth and then they've got you know a lot of size inside well you know Brittany was 6'8 when Louisville took her down and you know uh, Kalani Brown 6'7 you got a lot of similarity there uh, Doug is there any way to forecast what Tennessee team is going to show up to play uh, in this tournament I mean are they going to beat Dayton before they even get to a Louisville game or is Dayton going to be able to knock them off? You know, Dave, they're probably the biggest mystery in this NCAA tournament. They could beat anyone, and they could lose to anybody. And every year do a bracket breakdown, picking all 63 games, and I haven't done it yet. And honestly, when I get to that region, I don't know what I'm going to do with them. I just don't think they're consistent <laughs> enough to get to the Final Four, but it wouldn't shock me if they got there. I mean, they have the talent to do it. So... I really think they they are the biggest X factor in that region, let alone the NCAA tournament, because, look, there isn't the same attention paid to the women's bracket as the men. There aren't the thousands and millions of, of brackets out there that people play, but they're a team that could really bust your bracket either way. If you pick them to go far and they lose first round to Dayton, you're in trouble. Or if you pick against them they make a run to the Final Four, you're in trouble. So good luck figuring out that Tennessee mix. It certainly is an interesting uh, situation there, no question about it. Gabby, I'm gonna, I, I specifically left time for you to work poetic about Kelsey Plum in Washington. But I will say, getting Gonzaga in Washington is not exactly a potential matchup that I think that they're real happy with. Yeah, I would. you know, it started off with, all right, we're home this time around, which is really big for us because – the Washington crowd has the fans have really come out for that team and supported that team this season. So I do think ultimately, even though they're facing off against Gonzaga, it is a plus that they're starting off at home, and hopefully that might be able to give them a little bit of momentum. But 
If I had to pick a player who has the potential to elevate her team single-handedly, put her team on her back throughout this tournament, then it would have to be Kelsey Plum because we've seen her do it. It's similar to Oregon State. She's been there. She's taken her team through really, really tough matchups in tournament play, and she succeeded. And I also think that we can't really overlook who she has with her alongside her, which is Chantal Osahor. I mean, she leads the league in rebounding. I, she got, like, something like 30 boards in one game this season. The two of them together can prove to be a really hard system for teams to figure out, particularly teams in Oklahoma City who might not have come up against them this season. I think that there's an argument that they fell to some teams in the Pac-12 this season who kind of figured them out, who kind of knew how to go about handling Kelsey Plum. And, David, you and I have sort of had this conversation various times in the past. I think that one of the best teams that handled Kelsey Plum was Notre Dame in their early, early matchup in the season because they they just shut down the left side of the floor for her completely, and they pushed her right. But since that game, I would make an argument that she's learned to correct that and she's learned to adjust. So if there's any one player who can carry her team through the tournament, my bet's on Kelsey Plum. You know, Michelle, that brings up an interesting question to me. You know, we haven't, other than Tarasi, we really haven't had a Danny Manning or Carmelo Anthony type of one person carrying the team to a national championship. Plum obviously did an awful lot last year, got them far before getting knocked off. In the women's bracket, if you look at the tournament, especially this year specifically, is, are there any teams and that one transcendent player that can lead their team to a possible championship, like a Kelsey Plum, like Gabby's talking about? I don't think so because of the UConn barrier. You know, because you're never, you are not going to beat UConn with one player. I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. You know, Danny Manning <laughs> by himself, you know, with uh, could beat UConn. Um, certainly not now, right? But um, <laughs> I, I, I just, I think that's what makes it next to impossible is because they are, they're so good. And trying one player, even two players, um, who who leads your team, I think that's really, I think that's really, you know, tough to do in terms of. Scheming, though, um, if you go back to, again, if seeds hold in this bracket and you have a Washington versus a Mississippi State, I'm not sure there are too many better uh, defensive coaches than Vic Schaefer. And he has a, some, he has depth. He has a very good defensive stopper in Dominique Dillingham. And that could be very interesting to watch because Mississippi State has a lot of speed. They know how to play defense. And even though you know, they're obviously not that familiar with uh, Washington. Washington isn't that familiar with them either. So that could be a really interesting matchup uh, of those two teams and two kind of different styles. Yeah, I don't think that that's probably the one number two seed that Washington really did not want to see, in my opinion. Was, you know, they couldn't see the two from the back 12 and then there's Duke. I, I don't think they wanted to see Mississippi State and the defense that Vic Schaefer plays. Uh, I agree with you completely on that one. That's going to be a tough game. My question always about Mississippi State is can they put enough points on the board to outscore somebody? They always seem to, to struggle a little bit in that regard. Uh, yeah. So, uh, Doug, looking at, the, at Oklahoma City then, wh- what are you looking at for upstarts, people to watch, things to watch? 
Well, we talked about teams that felt they got shafted. I mean, you could say that Doug Bunos, the Paul Blue Demons, got shafted as a seven seed. I mean, they were in the mix for one of the top uh, 16 seeds for most of the reveal. They were either in it or just out of it, and they finished up as a seven. I mean, I know they lost to Marquette a couple times, but I'm sure there's a chip on that shoulder in uh, Chicago right now. And, and you talk about fun matchups. How about if they get by UNI? the offensive-minded Blue Demons who can score at will against the defensive-minded uh, Mississippi State team. That could be a, a whoever gets a better handle of the tempo is win that game. So i like to Paul to maybe make a little run there if they can get out. And then, as we said, that Louisville-Tennessee matchup, if it happens, who knows what's going to happen there. I mean, Jeff Walls is the master of March pulling off upsets, as we saw in the past, as Michelle talked about. It could be good. I mean, I think there are a few teams that I could – make a little run and, and make it interesting and maybe not have the uh, the top two teams make the Final Four. Gabby, what are you thinking? You know, I agree with the point that Michelle made because even if Washington hypothetically gets into the Final Four and we decide hypothetically that Connecticut gets into the Final Four, that, you know, in and of itself, Huskies going against Huskies would be a pretty cool matchup. <laughs> However, Michelle's point I think is spot on. One player alone can't take on UConn. And we saw that Coach Oriama said that when they played against Ohio State. And they kind of shut down Kelsey Mitchell in the second half of that game. And she didn't really have as much of an impact as she might have hoped. But Coach Oriama pretty much set out when asked a question about comparisons to Tarasi. He said, you know, one player alone can't really take on this UConn team because the UConn team has something which – arguably no other team really has, which is four very strong offensive threats on the floor at any one time. It's really hard, though, overall to look at. Oklahoma City is the hardest one, I think, of all to predict, and that's for the reason that Doug pointed out, which is that Tennessee just throws a wrench into it because we honestly, none of us can say which version of Tennessee is really going to show up. That's a team that's won four wins over top ten teams, not just any top 10 teams. They've taken down Notre Dame, South Carolina, Mississippi State. But they also have eight losses to unranked teams. So looking at it, it could really go either way with Tennessee. But I wouldn't be surprised if Dayton at the 12 seed becomes what UAlbany was last year at the 12 seed and upsets Tennessee in that first round. Very possible. I definitely agree. Dayton is a tough team. Uh, Michelle, your thoughts on uh, Oklahoma City? Well, ultimately, I think Baylor's going to come through here. And, um, again, part of that may be if Alexis Jones comes back. But even if she doesn't, um, they they really have a, a deep team. And Kim Mulkey has said this is the deepest team she's ever had. They didn't play uh, particularly well against West Virginia, but West Virginia was on a roll. And, and also, you know, by the time Baylor got in in the gear, they did make that game pretty close. Uh you know, in the in the fourth quarter, but um, as as you know, both Doug and Gabby have said, uh, Tennessee is an X factor. It's just hard to see them winning, you know, uh, four game, four games in a row at this point because they have been so up and down. Uh, I, I I feel like they will, um, you know, make that game against uh, Louisville. I think that'll be a second round game, and and that could be you know one of the one of the games of the tournament, possibly. Uh, if Baylor it plays Louisville, um, that is going to be a, a really interesting um, 
press two interesting press conferences before that game with with Kim Mulkey and Jeff Walsh uh talking about their memories from uh from 2013. Jeff will probably be happier to talk about that than Kim will though. I will say that probably the worst job in the NCAA tournament this year would be to be the referees in a Baylor Louisville game with those two on the sidelines. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> you know, one thing that I do want to just throw out it before we depart the region was uh, you mentioned an interesting concept about Florida State possibly being you know, one of those best programs to never make it that far. You know, I, I keep looking at Doug Bruno, and, you know, you, once in a rare moment do you get somebody come back from injury that makes such a huge difference to a team. But if you look at Jessica January and the job that, and, you know, they ran out of gas in that last game. She had just come back from injury. They lost to Marquette in the finals. You know, and, but, you know, I, it wouldn't surprise me to see DePaul knock off Mississippi State, uh, with the way that they can run up and down the court, the way DePaul can score, and having, as we talked about, that veteran guard leadership and having somebody like January on that team. I think DePaul is a legitimate team. Like Doug said, to, to possibly make a little bit of a run here. So, but now that I mentioned the veteran guard, I do want to mention. I, I, I want to just get off this and talk about one other theme before we get into before we wrap things up tonight. We talked about the need for that type of leadership and stuff. I don't recall a tournament with so many good young, especially freshman point guards. Slocum, Ionescu. Uh, you know, Gondrasek didn't make it for Michigan, but they could have easily have made it. You know, you go around, there are so many of these young players. You know, South Carolina now is led by a freshman point guard. You know, it just seems more and more that, you know, you're, you're getting these players that really can do damage. Uh, Michelle, what, what are your thoughts on, on freshman point guards in a big dance like this? Well, it can, it can go either way with them. And um, sometimes I think um, there's that old saying, you don't know what you don't know, and that, that, can, that can help at times with freshmen. They play at times, you know, more free and easy. Um, they're not carrying with them, um, you know, maybe some of the burdens sometimes that seniors do carry with them in games. But um, – it also really depends on what the the makeup of the team around them is. You know, in, in the case of a team uh, like South Carolina with with uh, Tyasha Harris, she does have a lot of veterans around her, and I think that's that's you know made a big difference for them. So, um, you know, again, I think a lot of times it, it really depends on what the what the team makeup is. Uh, in the end, would you like to have um, a little bit more? seasoning with the with a point guard probably so but i've also seen you know cases where um older players you know a lot creeps into their mind more than just basketball uh during the ncaa tournament the whole idea of the almost being over and and feeling the pressure and having a lot of things you know pile up on them and and that doesn't happen for freshmen last thing real quick let's just go around for each re i'm going to mention a region Give me one player that people should be watching if they're not as familiar with the teams. I mean, and no, you can't choose one of the UConn kids or something like that. Okay, <laughs> you got to pick somebody else. All right, start start with Bridgeport, Doug. Who's somebody that people should be looking for? 
Uh, well, you already mentioned, but Sabrina Ionescu of, of Oregon, I think, is a really exciting freshman point guard that could be someone that people may not know as much about outside of the West Coast that I think would be fun to watch. Okay, Gabby? Um, Maurice Billings, UCLA, I think if any player could give Gabby Williams a run for her money, it would be her, and I really hope to see the two of them go up against each other. Good one. Michelle? Uh, I'll go with Tynese Martin from West Virginia, sophomore who was the uh, Big 12 tournament MVP and really just took over in Oklahoma City in those three games. And I'm going to be a little selfish, and I'm going to say that I am very thrilled to see Brittany Sykes from Syracuse back in Connecticut. I remember seeing her as a freshman at the Hartford Civic Center and being so impressed with her game, and it's great to see her healthy and in the tournament once again. So now let's let's go to Oklahoma City. And, uh, Michelle, we'll let you go first this time. Um, player, let's see. Um, you know, I think what could be interesting is maybe Christy Wallace with Baylor. Uh, she she is a the player, I think, on that team who has the personality, and I mean this in a good way, <laughs> that's closest to Kim Mulkey in terms of her competitiveness. And I think, you know, she's somebody who I think, can kind of give that team a little bit of a kick in the pants when they need it. Uh, I'm not saying she's going to put up big numbers, but when you watch her play, you see somebody who's going all out every possession. Devin? Jessica January uh, for DePaul. I think that you were spot on, David, and I think Doug mentioned it earlier with comments about DePaul maybe, maybe being a little bit undervalued, and it is so rare that we see a player spring back um, for in time for the tournament after having an injury. I think that she was taken aback a little bit by the loss in the Big East Championship, and I'm sure that she's ready to make up for that now in the tournament. Doug? Uh, I like Asia Durr of Louisville. I, I saw her a fair amount down at the, uh, the ACC tournament in Conway uh, a couple weeks ago, and I really was impressed with her game. I mean, I think she is a, a big reason that they're going to get as far as they get is the play of Asia. Uh, well, now i got to scramble because he took mine. Uh, I'm going to say it's, it may only be for one game, but I love Christina Nikwe. And I think that she is one of the best pure posts in the country, and people should try and watch her play Cal. If they make it against Baylor and she has to go against the trees that Baylor has, I think that would be a lot of fun if Cal can upset LSU in the first round. Stockton. Doug, why don't you pick somebody from the Stockton Regional? Uh, Stockton, uh, that's an interesting one to choose from. I mean, obviously, everyone knows South Carolina pretty well, and we talked about Sydney Weiss on uh, Oregon State. I, I guess I'll go with um, Leticia Romero. I, I, love, I love the guards. I love her game. I, I remember watching her in the Olympics, and it's just so much fun seeing a college kid play with professional players for Spain. And she is one of those players that Michelle talked about as a senior that there are only so many games left in her career, potentially, um, for – Florida State, so I'd say Romero would probably be my top choice. Michelle? Uh, well, i gotta go, uh, got to go with well, you're taking Sophie Cunningham. Missouri. Got to be Sophie <laughs> Cunningham. Um, and one thing that, that is kind of neat about Missouri, all five starters are from Missouri, which you don't see very often um, with any teams. 
Sophie has the ability to really take over games. She can be shut down at times because she's young. I think there there are times when she lets her emotions get a little bit of the best of her. She's worked on that this year. But when she gets it going, she's a lot of fun to watch. Gabby? Even though she was already mentioned, I'm going to go with Sydney Reeves. Um, I think that she has an ability to shoot the ball over any defense because of her height. She's the go-to scorer on that team, and for reasons that Doug mentioned, she's also a senior. This could be her last go-round. Well, you surprised me there. I thought that you were going to go with, uh, instead you left for me from Michigan State, uh, Tony Dumesca is one of the more fun players to watch as an all-around guard, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how she does against the waves of players that Arizona State will throw out there in the first round. I think that uh, she could be a fun one to watch. Which leads us at Lexington, the final place to discuss. And, uh, Gabby, we'll let you go first on that one. Well, since you ruled out UConn players, I'm going to go with Carly Samuelson, sister of Gabby Samuelson. Um, yeah. She, you know what? She can really shoot the ball. Kudos to their father for teaching them whatever methods that he used. You know, it's incredible. She can really shoot the ball. I think that she's come out for them really big this season. seems like her place on the team got a little bit lost in translation over the years, but I think that she's really ending strong with them. Michelle? Uh, well, they may only be in one game, but uh, Lizzie Wendell with Drake, I think she was the the you know centerpiece recruit for uh, Jenny Bronchak to, to turn that program around. Uh, she's been – a uh, phenomenal score for Drake and, and somebody who I think is going to, you know, go down all time as, you know, one of the best players in the Missouri Valley and, and certainly in Drake history. Good pick. Doug? Well, just like I did to you, Dave, Michelle took my player at Wendell, and I think she's exactly right. She's going to be fun to watch, even if it's just for one game and on a national stage since Drake hasn't gotten that much pub outside of the area. In the Midwest, so Wendell is obviously I think a very, very fun player to watch. Um, but to go with somebody else, I'll go with, with Michaela Epps. I mean, I like her swagger. I think we talked about before how Kentucky people probably didn't think they'd be where they are right now with all they went through in the off season and defections and things. And you know what? It'd be sweet for her to have a chance to get to the Final Four in lessons and uh, down the road. Cool. All right, now I'm going to take a chance at it. Take a deep breath. Arike Ungbowali, I can never pronounce the name, but she is so much fun to watch. And I think that she is going to be the key to Notre Dame winning a national championship this year. And uh, that's how we'll leave it for for this week. Uh, I want to thank all of our guests for for appearing on the roundtable and taking such time to do it. I know that these take a while, and I know our listeners enjoy hearing from all of you. Michelle, Doug, Gabby, thank you again for spending the time with us this evening. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.